Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Normally, I'd hit the Union Underground across the nation at this point, but unfortunately, it's been kind of a rough night, Tony, so I just kind of want to get to the show at hand. How you doing, man? Let's do it. Well, I ordered uh, Mexican food via Postmates, and they accidentally gave me an extra burrito, so I'm actually having a pretty good night. Bonus food is always good food. (laughs) Was it good Mexican food, though? Because there is a difference. I definitely wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't have ordered it if it was bad. I, I trust the source. All right. Um, well, welcome into the show, everybody. Good evening. Thank you for listening to the reaction, a presentation here of the Chairshot Radio Network, online at thechairshot.com. I'm your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host, Tony Estero. Yeah, Tony Two Burritos. See, wouldn't Tony Dos Burritos make more sense there? Yeah, but I like the alliteration of the T. That's fair. Maybe you could be Acero Dos Burritos instead. How's that? That <laughs> sounds like a meal. <laughs> sounds like you're getting your own listing on the menu at the Mexican restaurant you ordered dinner from. Yeah. All right, so I'm curious. Did you get to finish watching Backlash? I did. Um, Maybe it's because I watched it after all the hype died down. But it was was slightly above average. Um, I get that it tried to take – I mean, I think my favorite part of the match was hearing Finkel's voice. I just thought that was such a sick touch. Everything else was kind of par for the course. It wasn't bad. I feel bad for Edge for, you know, tearing his tricep, but I'm glad that – we didn't get a retirement speech tonight. Uh, favorite match or moment from Backlash in general? Oh, God. It's like so long ago. Um, I'm probably just going to say Sasha so I can get it over with. I don't remember. You, you know, it's crazy. Um, I don't want to talk about it too much, but Larry, the amount of wrestling that he watched, I don't know how he kept it in line. I'm watching – Three shows a week, and I'm I forget everything. <laughs> You're watching Raw, SmackDown, and AEW on a weekly basis, doing the reviews for Fall Online, and you're probably half expecting Jericho to show up on SmackDown and AJ Styles to make an appearance in AEW at this point. I don't even. I mean, I, I can keep track just because they're written so differently. Um, 
but in terms of like on a week-to-week basis, like what happened last week, I'd have to pull up my own report <laughs> just to read what happened. I believe that. I, I, a lot of times when you watch as much wrestling as we do on a, such a consistent basis, it bleeds together. I'm yeah. going to... I'm going to go with Edgy Norton as my best match from Backlash. I think that while they were given a very difficult <laughs> task because of the, all the hype that they put into the match, I think that they more than held up their end of the bargain. How about your least perform your least favorite match or moment from Backlash? Um let me. Do you like me to go first here? Because I have an answer right off. Yeah, the you top go. Of you go head. first. Go ahead. Akira Tozawa is Asian stereotype number four thousand six hundred and thirty-two. I mean, I would probably go with that. Just that entire segment. I mean, you know, if there's one thing to say, it's. Uh, the guy looks like he's having a blast in doing this, so one can't really, you know, complain too much about the, you know, obviously overt racism. But still, it's just not good writing. It makes no sense. Um, if you're going to have an imposing stable, even for a second, they have to be imposing. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, they're anything but. <laughs> My my biggest issue though, I think my biggest issue from that whole segment is, is I didn't even need the match to happen at Backlash. Like I get the whole bait and switch delivery of it all, but in the network era, if you have a match that's not announced on the card, or that's announced with the card that doesn't happen, it's not as big of a deal as if you were paying fifty or sixty bucks for a show. My biggest problem with the yeah. whole segment was is that the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders were actually having a fun backstage brawl that between the two teams that got interrupted by that mildly racist bullshit. I mean, aside from the racism, it's also just dumb. Like, when did Akira decide to become a ninja? Where are these people coming from? How did he collect a, you know, really, really tall black ninja? Like, I don't It's just... And then he comes off as, like, Akira. You know, like, even today he was, like, basically humping the chair. It just doesn't... It's a dramatic character shift with no reasoning other than, oh, he's Asian, so he could be a ninja. Overall show rating for Backlash? Um, I think it was a pretty average show, um, which is ironic considering it was called the greatest wrestling match. Uh, So I'm going to give it a seven. Nothing was bad except for, you know, the ninja showing up, but Obviously, even two weeks later, I I don't really remember much, which should say something about it. Which is actually why my rating is actually a little bit lower. I'm at a six and a half. The McIntyre-Lashley match was good, except for the finish, but the finish is what everybody's going to remember from that match, assuming they remember the match. And that's the fact that Lana got involved and cost Matt Lashley the title, and then that led to their breakup the next night on Raw. Strowman had a handicap match. Strowman had a handicap match against two men infinitely more talented than him and still won. 
and arguably the best non-Edge Wharton match on the show was relegated to the kickoff with Apollo Creed and Andrade for the U.S. title. I'm going to guess that your show MVP is Sasha. Mm-hmm. Can I give an honorable MVP? Can I give an honorable MVP to Charles Robinson for busting out the old school referee bow tie? Sure. I chuckled. I'm going to give my official MVP to Edge, though, for gutting it out through the retaping with the torn tricep. Because while I don't think that match would have worked if they had done it in one full setting, and that's why they went back and did some re edits, and it was reportedly during a re edit where Edge got hurt, I think mm-hmm. the dedication. I think the dedication of Edge in order to make sure that they got the right shots even with his injury shows what a professional Edge is and how serious he is about his passion for this business. Speaking of which, we saw that on full display tonight on Raw. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. Let's move over to the Blue Brand, Tony. Let's talk SmackDown, shall we? All right. The Eater of Worlds is back, even though he never left, but he's back anyway, and apparently Bray Wyatt thinks he's Mick Foley these days. Do you like the idea behind the many faces of Foley with Wyatt here, or do you think Bush should pick a character and stick to it with him? Uh, I kind of like it. Um, I, I think I'm in the minority, just judging by comments, but I like the idea that Bray Wyatt possibly feels threatened by Strowman so much in the fact that he has to play mind games, which is something that he's done since he's been Bray Wyatt. So if he has to resort to truly playing on the history of Braun Strowman, then what we're getting is what we've always asked for is continuity, a story that has weight to it. And, um, you know, just a little bit of callbacks, which are almost always fun. So I enjoyed it. I didn't, like, mark out or anything, but I, I saw it for what it was. And I, Bray Wyatt was always a character. You know, the original Hawaiian shirt-wearing was a, always a character that I really enjoyed. I I know a lot of people thought his promos lacked substance, but, I mean, really, not even if you read between the lines. I'm not saying we're at some heightened level of, you know, the English language, but they did have substance. It's just that the actions didn't always coincide with what he was saying, and I have to admit that that's most likely the booking more so than the promos, because they came off very, very much as, you know, in-character, character-driven, and unlike anything else on the show. So seeing even a little glimpse of that again kind of, like, made me happy. So I don't really mind it, and it's also different enough because Braun is quickly becoming a product. He's like one, you know, catchphrase away from being Roman Reigns, to be honest with you. Like, it's, I, I, I don't like the train. I don't like the, the train sound. I don't know how many more cars he's going to lift before we understand that he can lift vehicles. Um, yeah, I'm just not feeling it. In regards to Braun Strowman, I think the best thing that I can do here is quote Pink Floyd. Welcome, my son. Welcome to the machine. Hmm. Overall, I like the idea behind... Overall, I like the idea behind the return of the Eater of Worlds, and here's why. 
because I think that they trust Bray maybe a little bit more creatively now than they did originally for the Bray Wyatt character on the main roster. And it gives me hope that we'll get the, uh, the Bray Wyatt that was more true to form from what we saw in the FCW NXT run of the character rather than the more watered-down version of it that we were discussing on a Monday night in, Monday night out basis over the course of us doing this show for the last six years. Mm-hmm. So the possibilities excite me as far as where the Eater Worlds character can go from now. It's just going to be a case of finding that right balance between when is he the Eater of Worlds Bray Wyatt, when is he the Fiend Bray Wyatt, when does he use the Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt persona, although frankly I don't think the Firefly Funhouse persona should be wrestling at all just because it takes away from the from the severity and the seriousness of the other two personas of Wyatt. AJ Styles is a glorious asshole, Tony. <laughs> yeah. I knocked this dude for years on his promos. Let's call a spade a spade here. AJ Styles in TNA was god awful on the microphone. AJ Styles in New Japan was okay. He was serviceable for what he needed to do in order to get his point across. But he wasn't lighting the world on fire with his promos in New Japan. AJ Styles as a heel in the WWE has been absolutely killing it with his mic work. And just the whole backhanded way that he handled that entire opening segment from Friday's episode of SmackDown gave me another newfound level of respect for AJ Styles' microphone abilities. What did you think about the opening segment with AJ's performance? And then we'll talk about the big thing to come out of that opening segment right after that. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. AJ has been doing really, really well. I think he's at his best when he's by himself. I have never enjoyed anything he's had to say while he's with the Good Brothers. I think they come off as incredibly hokey and just not – I've just never been a fan um, but yeah, by himself he's doing great, and I think it's because he's simplified what he's doing, and he's well aware of who he wants his character to be. Um, even Brian did really, really well in this segment too. Uh, it is very much in Brian's character to put the belt on the opponent that he lost to, because he respects the belt and he respects the loss. So um, I didn't think that he was hurt by that. Um, before I go too far into it, I also think that this segued into a pretty stellar debut that um, outside news notwithstanding was one of the few times a a debut from NXT, I think, was handled relatively well. You mean a debut? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Considering who we're talking about here, it was a debut, not a debut. For those who have not watched SmackDown and are listening to our show because you watch Raw more specifically, although why you do that, I have no idea. The man in question that AJ that Tony talked about making his debut to face AJ was the man who plans to be the bro that runs the show. Welcome to the machine, Matt Riddle. This leads to a singles match between Styles and Riddle, which I think was a mistake. And I'll explain why I think it was a mistake in a few seconds. First, I want to get your thoughts on how Riddle handled himself on the microphone 
and then the Styles Riddle match that opened up SmackDown. Um, I okay, Riddle is different enough to um, make an impact, and uh, you know, just because he doesn't wear shoes, which I think is going to be a running joke, um, it doesn't really matter as long as he can back it up in the ring. And he was also different enough as a wrestler to stand out. Um, a lot of times we get NXT debuts who show up and beat a no-name in, like, two minutes, which means there's no lasting effect. There's nothing. They beat someone that we don't care about in less than two minutes, so we don't care about them twofold. We didn't get that this time around. We got an endorsement by Kurt Angle. We got a debut that was a little arrogant, but ultimately led to a match that I think was really, really good, and will cause a lasting impression. And barring any changes due to outside instances, I think it was one of the better debuts from NXT to the main roster in a long time. Okay. I'm not going to get super involved on the outside issues that you're referring to because we made an agreement between the two of us off air that we weren't going to go into full detail here. However, just real quick in regards to Riddle, it was known about the accusations against him, and Riddle has been fighting it legally for the last four years. And if anything more serious would have come out of that, I would suspect that it would have happened by now already. Mm-hmm. That being said, in regards to the match itself, I loved the match. I thought it was a fantastic match, but I think this was the wrong week for it. And the reason I say that is, I think Riddle is somebody who has enough of a following that you could probably pop a rating by advertising this match and then delivering it the following week. Now, what ratings and everything mean in the current climate of the WWE with the whole COVID-19 thing, I understand that it's trying to put on the best, the best show on a week-to-week basis, but this does strike me as a match that even the casual viewer would be interested in seeing and especially the kind of match that somebody that would have followed Riddle who has fame outside of the WWE as a former UFC fighter that you could have advertised for next week and done a better number off of it than what SmackDown probably did on Friday. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's so hard to predict and worry and think about number. I think the people that are watching wrestling right now are the people that are going to watch it anyway, i.e. me and you. The numbers have been so low that it's it's got to be the, the diehard viewers. I can't imagine somebody casually watching wrestling because they have certain expectations um, from a wrestling show and a lot of those trappings are missing right now. You know, the crowd interaction, the motivation to cheer or boo for someone based on the crowd interaction and reaction. Um you know, just that entire atmosphere. So the people that are watching right now, and I mean, I could be wrong. I don't, obviously, I don't know. But I would assume that it's the people that watch wrestling, I mean, you know, you know, day or night, rain or shine, you know, ice or tornado. Um, nothing is going to make them miss wrestling, even if it's just to talk shit about it like we do. So so I think that, you know, popping a rating just doesn't, I don't know, it just, I think that it doesn't have that much of an effect, which is kind of why I'm so lenient towards certain programs, um, which we'll get to in a second, like Dolph versus Drew. Like, it's just a different climate that I feel I can't base what they're doing, and I can't judge it the way I would normally judge, you know, the show. Well, in certain aspects. 
I think that the Dolphins losing is because of something else that fell through, but we'll talk about that when we get to Raw. Overall, do you think this leads to a program with Riddle with Riddle and Styles for the IC title, or, or is this kind of a, a one-off to get Riddle and people's attention before they transfer him over to something else and continue Styles and Brian, and then we'll move on? Well, that's the dangerous thing about this whole thing, is that you – if you debut him against the IC champion, one would assume he's in that title picture, right? Which means that they put him higher than they have other people, which I appreciate. I think that he's not going to get a a match out of it right away, but he'll be in that in that arena, you know, in that in that little grouping of people for the foreseeable future. Um, I think what, Gulak has a match next week, right? Or next Friday? This I, Friday. I haven't seen anything officially announced. Um, the only thing I saw announced for SmackDown on Raw tonight, remember, I had to watch part of the show tonight or just a visual, right. no audio due to circumstances. The only thing that I remember seeing announced for SmackDown was the continuation of the follow-up, the fallout of the return of the Eater of Worlds. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I would assume Gulak has a match against uh, AJ Styles. Uh, so what that means is that they – a, they can't peter this out. They got to kind of keep Riddle in your in the good graces of the audience. So I would assume he'll have another pretty okay match, maybe against Brian. I don't know. But I do think that he'll be in that picture for at least for a little bit. Last question to ask. <sighs> Stupid phone. One last question to ask before we move on. Do you think we saw a potential tease of Riddle's next program during the course of this Styles Riddle match? Because remember, before the first commercial break, <clears> there, <throat> was kind yeah. of, there was kind of a moment between Style uh, between Riddle and King Corbin, and I kind of feel like that was going to be their way to segue with Riddle away from Styles and into a program with King Corbin. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's definitely going to happen. I mean, it doesn't mean he's out of the IC title picture. Obviously, they're not going to hot shot it right away, but that just means that Corbin is going to be in the dance too. And it's not—it—it uh, it, it makes sense. He's—he's he's in the main event, I guess you could say, of SmackDown. So, um, yeah, I didn't like that interaction, but only because Corbin is just so Corbin. I didn't hate him. I think he's had a—I think he's had his moments over the course of the last couple of months. He's definitely been more. He's definitely been more palatable now that he's away from the main event, seeing like he was last year. Well, we've talked about it. I think I really think it depends upon his opponent. He's a big guy. Agreed. If you fight someone smaller, it just it all looks really good. But when he's up against Elias, it just it comes off clunky, and I just don't think they have that same. You know, one of them has to have speed, and I don't think either one of them do, at least not comparatively. So it just comes off as a yawn fest, and they're both good in their own right. So it's kind of, kind of one of those things that just they don't mesh well. But I don't know. Whereas you know, may pull something out of him or vice versa. Whereas, like we've seen before with uh, Corbin against people the size of Chad Gable, then we've seen Corbin at his best when he's able to tell that bullying, that almost that JBL story in a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I, I do think that Riddle could get something out of Corbin. I just 
I wish you wouldn't have set him up with Styles if that's the way you were going to take him going forward, if, if that makes sense as well. All right, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheamus and Jeff Hardy are going to have a confrontation because Sheamus is going to provide a toast to Jeff Hardy's career on SmackDown this Friday. Probably going to have a piss on a piss on a pole match at Extreme Rules or something. Okay, so you watch you watch SmackDown Live through the feed because you cover it through four, for four one one. Right. Your yeah. thoughts on them? Edi- your thoughts on them editing that out of last week's broadcast? I mean. I think that's more up to the TV stations and or area than them themselves. It wasn't, it wasn't funny. It was incredibly unrealistic. It had nothing. It was just a bad segment, but I, I think they just segmented out because, you know, the dude threw piss in somebody's face. Maybe that's just not allowed in some areas, some regions. Fox used the line that it violated standards and practices, which is a line we used to hear about WCW a lot. No, those. I just. I mean, I'm not offended. It's just, it's just shitty. I mean, <laughs> not shitty. It was pissy, but it wasn't funny. It wasn't. It wasn't even dramatic. It was. It was just. I'm tired of the entire story. You're tired of them taking the piss out of us. Mm-hmm. That's legit. Um, Chad Gable and Mojo Raleigh. I liked the backstage segment where Gable was not dumbass babyface number 173. Mhm. It 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 kind of shows that he has spatial awareness. He knows what's going on around him and that despite the fact that he is vertically challenged, he knows that in order to compete in a big man's world such as professional wrestling, he has to keep his his head on a swivel in a sense. And he did so by literally turning and clocking Mojo with a forearm backstage before their match and then catching Mojo in a inside cradle out of a fireman's carry attempt when Mojo was looking for hyperdrive in order to pick up the three count here. I mean, yeah, I've got plenty of things to say about Mojo. He's just so inconsistent and it's not really his fault. Um, but Gable, on the other hand, has been very consistent, and I also enjoyed the backstage segment with him having eyes behind his head, um, and it followed with a match that was, you know, not bad. So we'll see what comes of it. Tolerable, I think, which for me is usually how Mojo's at its best in short doses. I, I don't need a 10-minute Mojo Rawley match. And I know I'm a proponent of the longer matches on this show, but something about Mojo Rawley getting 10 minutes just doesn't sit well with me. Hmm. <coughs> Miss, <coughs> sorry, Miss TV is up next, and Mandy Rose is the guest, and then Sonya Deville is the other guest, and Jesus Christ, we're not letting this go. <laughs> I like Mandy. She's shown a ton of personality now that she's paired with Otis. A lot more than just generic blonde, which is nice to see from her. I'm a huge advocate for Sonya. I have been on the show for a long time. That being said, these two just feuded for like four months earlier this year. We don't need to go back to it this soon. There are other women on SmackDown. 
Anything? Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. I think that there is plenty of story to tell. The problem is they close the door on it. You can't just open it back up and expect us to be like, okay, I'm super excited, unless there's a new fold to it. And unfortunately, there's nothing new. There was nothing new that was exposed or said or turned into anything. Um, so it just came off as like a like a stop start, and that kind of it, it detracts. It turns people off. I mean, that's exactly what happened with you. And I mean, I wasn't all that interested, other than the fact that these girls are continuing to grow and show that they, you know, they're very serious about their growth. I, I, I mean, outside of that, it's really it's it's really fun to watch. And I mean, as fans of both of them, you know, kind of proud of them. But realistically, this falls back on the writing, not so much them, where yeah, they closed the door, you know? They did, <laughs> like, n- now you're telling us to open it back up and watch the same story. That's the problem is it, there's not a lot that's different than when they were feuding originally. So what do we have to hold on to? If anything, the story lost a player from the original feud by having Dolph Ziggler moving over to Raw, which leaves Sonya by mm. herself. And while I appreciate that Sonya's getting television time as she is criminally underutilized. And she says as much in the promo herself that she cuts on SmackDown that if, if it weren't for her being scheduled as a guest by Miz to confront Mandy, then she probably would have been sitting back and catering, twiddling her thumbs. Shout out to Air UD three days and Eric Bischoff there. Um, then there wouldn't be anything for Sonya to do. if not for Miz getting her back involved here. But I think that there were other people from Miz, or not for Miss, for Sonya and Mandy to move on to in order to progress their characters without having to have them go back to the, they were best friends until this catty bitch tried to break up my relationship. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I feel that way. I just, I, okay, so my personal opinion is that the further away Dolph gets from Sonya, the better it'll be for her. Um, I don't think that's much for her, but he, does much for anybody. Um, so seeing her come out on her own dressed differently than, um, I don't know. I think uh, I, I see good things for both of them. Let's just get through this little hump and then see what happens. Tag team champions are in action in a non-title match as the New Day takes on the Lucha House Party. Somewhere Andrew's breaking shit in his house because he's so sick and tired of LHP. But in the end, the New Day pick up the one, two, three. When Biggie picks up the fall on Grand Metalik following the Midnight Hour, post match, and definitely want to talk about this here. Cesaro and Nakamura beat the fuck out of New Day, and frankly, it couldn't have come at a better time. The world needs more Cesaro, maybe more Nakamura, but definitely more Cesaro. I mean, if you can't take that little mini quasi-promo that he did and say that he's not ready to be a star, then I don't know what to tell you. No one's going to support him then. That was awesome. He was like, you know, like, you need to take me seriously. Like, no one is taking me seriously. And I've been here for however many, what do you say, like eight years? Like, he's mm-hmm. pissed, and you be- you believed him. I, I It was so small. Um Everyone, you know, the people that say he can't cut a promo, or even Vince, like, you know, he can't cut a promo. Like, that right there, that's that's more than a promo. That's a pissed-off guy ready to just – he's just tired of it. I really, really enjoyed that segment. 
Like, that wasn't even so much a promo from Cesaro as it was him venting his potentially real-life frustrations over the way that he's been handled throughout his WWE career. Yeah. Similar, and I'm not going to say that it was as good as, so save me the hate mail. I'm not going to say it was as good as Punk's pipe bomb promo, but it comes from a similar place of frustration for Cesaro here. Of, I've been here for eight years, and you're literally relegating me to a bit player backstage and barely mentioning me when we literally just beat the fucking champs last week. Yep. They showed to they showed Cesaro and Nak- they showed Cesaro and Nakamura backstage right before the match started and Cole kind of flippantly point out there's Cesaro and Nakamura. And I think that's why most of Cesaro's vitriol was directed towards Michael Cole throughout those statements that he was making. I will say that I did really appreciate something that Corey Graves said throughout the course of this year, because if you noticed, Michael Cole was about to say something back to Corey or back to Cesaro and Corey Graves said, don't talk to him. He's talking to you. There's a distinct focus um, on Friday and today where I feel like everything mattered And I haven't felt that way in a very long time with regards to the WWE. So I'm not going to give my credit to any one person. I just want to, I just hope that this is a distinctly new direction that we, that they, that they're focusing on because you can totally tell. Uh, Perhaps a renewed sense of purpose under Pritchard. Uh, maybe it's well, like not I so said, much I'm not going to give any one person credit because I've seen Pritchard's work and it it's not that great. There's something different though. I think it's just a a new focus. I think everybody may very well be on the same page for the first time in a long time. Okay, then let me ask you this: Do you think that's the process of having the shows under the same team creatively? Uh, I don't necessarily know because I've never been in the writing room. I just think that, again, I just think that there's there's one direction that they want to go and everybody is on the same page, which can change the entire fabric of a show. Last thing to talk about from SmackDown, and I'm sure you'll say that we're saving the best for last year. There is a... There's a running theme throughout that tag match where Bailey and Sasha are doing commentary with Cole and Graves. There's a really god-awful promo backstage between the other women on SmackDown that aren't Bailey and Sasha talking about who's going to be the next in line to face Bailey. And then at the very tail end, Alexa Bliss asks, where's Nikki? We come back from a commercial break and we see Nikki Cross coming up and attacking Alexa or Sasha and Bailey, which makes sense for Nikki's character. Nikki's nuts. It makes sense that it doesn't matter if she's outgunned going into a fight. If there's a fight to be had, Nikki's going to want to have the fight. Bailey, to continue the storyline with Sasha, puts Sasha into the match with Nikki Cross. Sasha picks up the victory against Nikki, I believe. Uh, a roll-up? Oh, no, Meteora. Excuse me. Uh, Meteora, after countering out of countering out of a pin attempt by Nikki Cross. 
And that picks up the three count for Sasha and allows her and Bailey to stand tall here, once again getting the spotlight over Nikki and Alexa. I sounded like an idiot there. I apologize for how long it took me to get to the point there. Regardless, the question that I'm going to ask you is, overall, what did you think of the segment with Nikki and Sasha? And how are you feeling about this kind of extended burn between Bailey and Sasha for the SmackDown Women's title? I mean, I'm all for the slow burn because I I want them two to have another match. I've wanted it for years, but I also want them to have it in front of a crowd. I think that they deserve it. I also don't want to rush a crowd because I care about everyone's safety. So, you know, them taking their time is okay by me. Um, also, the, you know, the bait and switch tonight that we saw, which was kind of predictable, but still cool to see that, you know, she's got her best friends back to that very moment. Um, eventually it's going to be too much and eventually it's going to, you know, turn into a match. I can only hope that they lose the tag team titles before that happens. Um, I didn't expect it to happen tonight. Um, but yes, I, Sasha can do no wrong, man. And I, admittedly her match with Nikki was short, but good. And Nikki's just, she's really falling into her own over the past, past couple of weeks. She's really embracing the crazy side of her to where it's, now a part of her character and not just like a um oh that's one of her adjectives you know she's nuts like now there's a reason why she's nuts she's nuts because she wants to fight or because somebody hurt her friends or because she's tired of something like it all has a reason behind it as illogical as we may see it because you know we're normal um quote unquote the character nikki cross is nuts but she also cares deeply about who she cares about and cares deeply about titles so easier to digest why she's hopping on the table in front of Michael Cole um, before her match or, you know, during it, it just, it makes it a, a lot easier to take in. Overall show reading for Friday's episode of SmackDown. I'm pretty sure I gave it an eight, maybe a seven. You did. Um, it was an eight. Yeah. I've, an eight. There was a lot more focus. It was very, very, uh, things that happened in the beginning show, of the show mattered at the end of the show. Um, everything had a purpose. There wasn't anything that was just like, what the hell? And they also left you wanting more for next week, which I just, I can't recall the last time that's happened. I'm not saying it's been years, but I know that it's not as consistent. Um, this was a good week in wrestling in terms of in-ring action and product. Not so much the climate, but but I SmackDown impressed me. Raw impressed me. Um yeah. AEW knocked it out the park. Jeez. I have not had a chance to watch this week's episode of Dynamite yet. I'm slowly working on catching back up, but things have been kind of hectic the last few days, so I'm trying to catch up as I can. Um, yeah, I'm well, just slightly... AEW just, you know, they did what they always do. They they did it right. <laughs> just slightly underneath you at a seven and a half for SmackDown? But one of the things that I did want to compliment, though, is something that we talked about on last week's show, and that there is a fine line between not enough wrestling and too much wrestling, and they managed to find that balance of sports and entertainment on SmackDown this past Friday, where you had two really long matches and then two really kind of condensed matches, but everything that happened in those matches made sense. Yeah. Despite the whole 
we can nitpick as far as how the matches are put together on a consistent basis, and we do more regularly here, but there's a, certainly a WWE formula to television matches. But the matches that did happen felt like they had a sense of purpose, at least, and that's something that they don't always have. All right, so let's move over to tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw. And let's start with the women's title. Let's start with the fact that before we get to the women's title match, Nia Jax is staging a sit-in that that Tom Phillips has no idea what the hell Nia Jax is doing, taking a chair into the ring and having a seat before they go to a commercial break. Really, Tom Phillips? How how much wrestling have you watched? Yeah, now they have a schedule. (laughs) But... Regardless, Naya has some interaction with Truth. It's meant to be funny. It comes off kind of dumb. Truth gets chased away by ninjas because Truth. And then Naya's back to starting to talk about Charlotte when Charlotte's music cuts her off. And this is where things get kind of interesting, at least as interesting as they can get when Naya Jackson's involved, in my opinion. The brawl looked a little hokey, but at the same time, I wouldn't be opposed to both of these women being kind of moved away from Oscar for a while and given their own little mini program. And one could argue that this would be the kind of thing that would get the the IWC fan on Charlotte's side. I mean, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. She's still very much Charlotte. But yeah, if you if you ever want to face woman, shit, throw them against Naya. They're almost it's almost automatic. Tony, you have to eat your vegetables. <laughs> I just you know it just doesn't it it didn't compute with me. It didn't make sense. Naya is just from her delivery to the words that she uses, the script that's given to her or the, you know, the delivery that she has, it just, none of it is believable. It doesn't come off as good. Um, I don't find her entertaining. Um, you know, just without the, the less of Naya, the better in terms of, you know, the show. So this kind of was like, whatever, but what it did do was if there's one good thing that I think Naya has is that she is very imposing and aggressive. So although all she really did was slam the top of like a laundry basket on Charlotte, she like trucked her before that. And this could lead to a angry Charlotte versus a, you know, beast of a, of a woman, Naya. And, you know, it could lead to a good match. It also took her out of the, um, title picture for the time being, which I'm perfectly okay. It also indirectly led us to go versus Sasha, and of course I'm going to love that. All right, let's talk about the Oscar-Charlotte match here. Um, do you think it was necessary to give Charlotte the out of the injury going into the match, or do you think that was overkill? Uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. Do you think it was a good idea to give Charlotte the arm injury going into the match as kind of an out for her reason for losing? Or do you think it was overkill and overly protecting Charlotte? 
no, I don't think it was overkill at all. Um, like it was a reason for the win, but I'm okay with it. I really because it it made Oscar look intelligent. It wasn't like oh Charlotte totally lost because of the arm. She lost because of the arm, but also because that's exactly what Oscar was going for. She knew what she was doing. She took advantage of it and she killed it. And it was a good match to boot. Something was different with the wrestling tonight. At least the first two matches. This thing was on fire. There was no pause. There was no rest hold. There was nothing. It was just pure action. So um, I don't think that it, losing like that hurt either one of them. In fact, I think that it was a good idea. It came off well. And, again, it paid off later because it wasn't just, oh, Nia's going to injure Charlotte so that she doesn't have to lose the match clean. It mattered after that, too, which is, again, so rare. This thing carried on throughout the show. There was It wasn't just a, a – Nia wasn't done. And, again, that's why I'm saying if there's any good to come out of a Nia versus Charlotte match is that you get to see the best part of Nia right now, which there isn't a lot of. But when she's aggressive and looking like she's going to murder you, that's kind of her role, you know. So I, I think that everything was right in this segment, in all the segments, including Nia, um, outside of, you know, the delivery, the way she carries herself. Um, but it led to – I mean, when you look at it, it led to the possibility of two pretty – pretty intriguing matches moving forward. Well, let's talk about the first of those two intriguing matches moving forward here by talking about Asuka and Sasha that you talked, that you mentioned earlier. In order to get to that, we have to get to Sasha defending the tag team titles tonight on Monday night raw teaming with Bailey to take on the Iconics in a match set up last week, which I do appreciate the week-to-week booking as well. It's nice to see kind of that episodic booking coming back to the WWE, something that we talked about many times on this show before, that you tell a story within the episode, but you also dangle a carrot for the audience to come back to for next week as well. And we see that last week going into this women's title match and then going forward with the Asuka-Sasha plan. Overall, what did you think of the women's tag team title match tonight? I thought that the Iconics actually really held up their end of the bargain here, whereas Bailey and Sasha were Bailey and Sasha that we've come to know and expect. But the Iconics have been bringing it since their return here, and it, it, you definitely see a, a renewed passion in their ring work now that they're back on television on a more consistent basis. Yeah, I think that they did great. I mean, it, they did so good that – my only complaint about the match was that it was too short, kind of it was a disservice to the Iconics because they deserved this match. It was a title match. So you kind of had it built up to be something significant. And I think the girls were given a time slot and they're like, well, fuck, if all we have is like five minutes, I'm going to make it worth it <laughs> because they came out of fire, big boot, right, right from the jump. And they didn't look unmatched. Um, they, they looked like they belonged there. Um, if I have one gripe, it still is the fact that, you know, I wish they had a little bit more time. This leads to the tease. Sorry. This leads to the tease of Sasha looking to call out Bailey for the SmackDown Women's title and instead issuing the challenge to Asuka for the Raw Women's title there. So that way both Bailey and Sasha could be dose straps. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where this is insisting upon itself. But I think tonight, with the way that it was handled, and specifically the way that they shot it, and I want to give credit to the camera crew for this particular segment, 
the way that they shot it with the, the turn at the end with her issuing the challenge for Asuka, I think that we're firmly still in the process where even the most jaded fans, such as we can be at times, is interested to see when they're finally going to pull the trigger on Sasha and Bailey, one of them turning on the other. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're doing enough to where, I mean, yeah, it can get a little tiresome, but even tonight, it wasn't this massive swerve where you're like, oh, got him, but it was also kind of somewhat unexpected, um, uh, and, and, and it came off well. It came off like, damn, they got you again. Now, of course, if she wins the title from Asuka, that's overkill, and it's just, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they did that, though, because we've seen it before. Um or something similar, at least, where, you know, they just hog the titles against people that don't like each other. Um, but, no, I'm, I'm not to that point quite yet. Uh, I think they've been doing it right, where eventually Sasha's going to get tired of it, and then we're going to get our awesome match sometime soon. It would be very reminiscent of 2001. And I don't know how much of that time frame you do or don't remember. You were literally just talking about how all these shows currently are running together. But it would be very reminiscent of it would be very reminiscent of the two man power trip from two thousand and one where Austin was the heavyweight champion, Triple H was the intercontinental champion, and then they were tag champions mm-hmm. together. Right. And I don't think that that does anybody a, ser- a service, and especially not in a women's division where there's only so much television time and so many opportunities for storylines presented at any one given moment on a week-to-week basis. All right, let's get to the rest of the show here because I figured we'd give the women their just due tonight because both of the women's matches, in my opinion, brought it tonight, and I wanted to give proper credit where it was due. I know we knock the women's division in the WWE a lot of times because of the fact that either it's so inconsistently booked or the focus has been on the wrong people at times, but they got it right tonight on Raw, with the exception of, like you said, the shortness of the tag title match. But the performances by all six women involved in those particular matches was absolutely fantastic, and I wanted to give credit where credit was due. All right, so instead of focusing on all of the segments and everything that happened tonight, I do want to kind of focus more specifically on the matches. The only way we can't do that for is the opening segment with McIntyre and the challenge of Dolph Ziggler. You talked about the fact that you were kind of rolling your eyes over the fact that Ziggler's the challenger for Dolph for Drew here. But again, I think this is, this is the result of an injury and kind of a haphazard booking into this situation, kind of a force their hand into this match. If that makes sense. Okay. If you believe the rumor mill and obviously take all these things with a grain of salt, the internet is what the internet is. The rumored WWE championship match for Extreme Rules was McIntyre defending against Jinder Mahal until Mahal got hurt again and had to go back under the knife once again for his knee. And that's why they're kind of sliding Ziggler into Mahal into Mahal's place here. Yeah, I kind of read something about that, and I mean, wouldn't you take Ziggler over Mahal? So, 
Um, I said it in the report, and, and I'll say it again now. I'm not necessarily opposed to Ziggler, if only because um, we don't have the crowd and the the adulation that Drew would have had this not been, you know, during a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> um, I feel like as a champion, he deserves more. So Ziggler's kind of a nice, um, in a bit of a, like, a part of a holding pattern where you're not really going to be too affected by him being in this match because he's an amazing wrestler and he's going to give a great uh, match. And you also know he's not going to win. So it's kind of harmless in a way. And it gives Drew another win, which not that he needs, but as a, as a champion, the more wins he has coming back to the crowd, the more credible he is. And I think he kind of deserves a nice little um, roster of wins. I think this match is going to be similar to the Seth Rollins match at Money in the Bank in that you don't really buy Rollins as, you didn't really buy Rollins as beating McIntyre for the title, but you knew it was going to be a damn good match. At that right. at, uh, extreme role, at extreme roles, excuse me, Ziggler's not winning. Let's call that what it is. But at the same time, Ziggler is more than capable and has the kind of moveset and the kind of persona that can bring out the best in a McIntyre's character because Ziggler is conniving enough to keep McIntyre off balance, but is a strong enough performer in the ring when, on, when being the recipient of offense that he can make Drew look like a world beater and like Drew's beating the fuck out of him. Right. All right, so we move on. We just did the Nia Jax segment with Truth. We're going to ignore that. Truth and Charlotte. Okay. There was a whole backstage bit with the Viking Prophets. Don't feel the need to discuss it. Entertaining, sure, but unnecessary in the grand scheme of things here. That tag title match, though. (laughs) Did I say that correctly? Sure. I I have to check my street credit on occasion on this show. I'm overtly (laughs) Caucasian at times. We finally get the straight up two on two tag. We finally get the straight up two on two tag match that we've been kind of teasing for the last two months with all of these ridiculous backstage skits and pre-records and fucking ninjas with a gigantic black ninja and Akira Tozawa as the mastermind. Eventually, it breaks down into an actual two on two tag team match tonight on Raw. And Tony, damn if they didn't light the world on fire during the ten minutes that they had for this match. Uh, yeah, just like the girls before them, they this was a nonstop ass-kicking that had equal parts, you know, uh, humor, action, intensity, uh, the possibility of a loss. And my only regret is that it took us so long to get here through a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> but it just, I mean, it was, it was kind of, it was, it was a fun match. Buy or sell. The Viking experience used by the Street Profits should have been the finish. Um, no, I think that's that's gonna no. They don't they don't need her to do that. <laughs> I would have loved if that would have been the finish. I I think it would have. I mean, they're I they're gonna co- go ahead. They're gonna lose the match. You don't want them to lose to their to the to the 
their own finisher. It's insulting. But I think that that kind of makes the point of the Street Profits here in that they were willing to pull out all of the stops in order to beat the Viking Raiders, including in this particular instance, lifting the finishing move of the tag team that they couldn't beat because that move has beaten them so many times. Yeah, I don't want to see somebody lose to their own finisher in a match where you're saying anything you could do, I could do better. It's it's a little bit overkill. I would have been okay with it. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, let's move on. In the current climate, should they really be continuing with this uh, Angel Garza, Charlie Caruso storyline? Um, in a sense, I think so, because I think that there is a mutual interest. Uh, Charlie Caruso is shown to be a intelligent woman who is interested in a man. And I think as long as they continue to play it straight like that, then we'll be fine. It is a very, very touchy subject, though. It's a risk. And it's not one that they should probably be taking because they're not all that good at writing. But um, so far, it's been presented as an equally, um, you know, an equal interest among two people. That being said, Zelina Vega may be the world's largest cock block. (laughs) Pour one out for Angel's champion. All right, moving on. Edge's promo in order to discuss the current situation with Orton and his injury. While I loved the promo... The end quote from Edge is, let's be honest, unrealistic, is it not? The Edge what? The end quote from Edge is is unrealistic, let's be honest. Oh, I mean, I thought it was cheesy, but it was like, it's fine. You know, basically he's saying that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not just content with just happy to be back. Now I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> like, I, I... I get the idea. I get the idea behind the return of the rated R superstar, but I think that this would have been more of an ultimate opportunist thing and that edge looks at it now that, okay, so you, you needed to hit me in the balls in order to win this greatest wrestling match ever. Well, fine. Then all cards on the table. I get a chance to take your ass out. I'm taking your ass out. The rated R superstar is unrealistic in the PG era. Whereas the ultimate opportunist tagline that Edge used to use on a consistent basis would have been perfect here because Edge was looking to take out Orton the next chance he got, regardless of time, place, or location. Mm-hmm. It's a minor quip because overall I really enjoyed Edge's passion that we saw on that promo. And I did think that Edge, you, like when he said that he couldn't lift up his daughters for Father's Day, you felt that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also, this was a rare occasion where somebody used real names of wrestlers, and I wasn't offended by it. It's 99.9% of the time, I roll my eyes, like, oh, okay, so I'm supposed to believe that this is real amongst everything else. But when Edge called Christian J, it just worked. It just was like, yep, he's pissed. (laughs) You know, it's such a rare occasion, but I I thought it worked out really, really well. And the fact that Edge specifically mentions that Jay has been his best friend for 36 years, and they've been portrayed as basically such since the moment that Christian stepped on WWE television. Mm-hmm. 
originally calling them brothers and then revealing that while they're not actually brothers, they've been as close as brothers for the vast majority of their lives. Right. The old phrase, you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. In this case, friends become family. Liv Morgan and Natalia. I just, nothing Natalia does is... It entertains me in the slightest. You know, all that talk we gave to the six women involved in the Raw title match and the tag team title match? Yeah. Take everything nice we said about those matches and then throw it in the dumpster. And that was this match. (laughs) I mean, let's not forget who was ringside. I still can't believe MVP called her a thought last week. I just, I, I, I have no, nothing Natalia does entertains me. And then you decide to add Lana to the mix. I, the only saving grace is the fact that this means we'll get both of their um, segments in one and we won't have to see them any more than necessary. <laughs> but it also means Lana still has a job. And um, I'm just not interested in it. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. There's no reason for Lana to even team up with Natalia. Natalia's character has been so inconsistent where just a couple of weeks ago, she was this goody goody, you know, locker room leader. And now she's saying that, you know, she should have been interviewed, but now we're out of time. I mean, tonight was the first time that raw had a schedule apparently where Naya couldn't sit in the ring and wait. And Natalia couldn't have an interview because of one reason or another. So it just, for me, it's just, it's going to be, there's always going to be a segment that I'm just not a fan of. And we found our new, um, not new, but our, our, uh, our new combination of people who will do just that. And that is Lana and Natalia. In other words, if I didn't have to do a raw report, that would be the bathroom break. To be fair, I will say this. I do believe that Bruce Pritchard probably times these shows out better than Paul Heyman did. I mean, we'll see. If history has taught me anything, I, I would believe that Pritchard's much more likely to pay attention to keeping things on a more consistent basis than Paul was. It's not to say Pritchard's a better booker than Heyman. It's just that I do believe that Pritchard is more of a product of the WWE system and trying to keep everything on a relative idea of knowing where you're going next, whereas Heyman tended to fly by the seat of his pants creatively. Yeah. He needed, he needs someone to reel him in, you know, or at least a team to say like, let's do this instead. So Heyman in a sense is similar to Russo in that regard. I'm not comparing anybody to Russo. (laughs) Okay. That's fair. Let's move on. Ric Flair, Randy Orton, and apparently the big show now because I guess he knows your little brother is still watching, Tony. (laughs) I I missed this entire segment. Like I said, I had real life shit pop up and I missed the segment. I'll let you talk about it here and then we'll move on. Okay, so in order to care about this segment, you have to assume that everything the Big Show said was true, which is he's not all fun and games. He's an angry giant that will, you know, 
murder people, but also that Edge and Christian are his close friends. And it's not that that's not true. It's just that we have no proof of that. We don't have a significant amount of proof of it other than the fact that they've all been around for a very long time. It's just one of those things that they throw in. What? Just real quick to chime in here. We actually do have some proof of it, but you have to be a network watcher in order to see it because show played a big part in the Edge and Christian show on the network where it was acknowledged that those guys used to travel together all the time back when they were in their running days. Yeah. It's one of those things that, like, I'm not saying you have to blatantly let your your audience know that what you're saying is true, but as a writer, you have to assure that what you're saying is believable, not necessarily that it's true or not. You could lie to your blue in the face, but if they believe you, then you've done your job. So that's just a that's a one off. That's for me specifically, where it just kind of it didn't ring a hundred percent true, but it wasn't upsetting because at the end of the day, it's not a suspension of belief to to think that's true. So that was fine. Oregon was at his sickest. The dude was just yeah. That everything he did worked. Everything he said worked. He sounded evil. He sounded, you know, like not afraid of Big Show. Um, he 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 said, you know, you're you're a for sure Hall of Famer. And some could even call you a legend. And then he smirked. And it was like, of course, he said that because he's the legend killer. Um, Yeah, Orton is just on right now. And this segment, also I have to give props to Ric Flair because for the past several segments that Ric Flair has had over the numerous years, I'd say maybe the last five years, it's been very, very scary. You don't know what he's going to say or if it's going to make sense or if you're going to buy it. But he was very, very... um, believable he was um everything he said was you know rang true there wasn't there wasn't any issues with the the promo that he cut and you got the impression that he deeply cared about selling what he was what um he was supposed to be selling which is that you know randy orton is the greatest wrestler of all time so i think that it was a money segment i think that it worked and it was a nice way to continue the story without having edge there and if we're getting a big show out of versus orton match out of it I don't know. I think it'll be. I, I think it'll be fine. I don't expect a five-star classic, but at the very least, Orton will get another win under his belt and another legend to kill, which is what they're trying to do right now: is to recreate and bring back the legend killer that is Randy Orton. What? Who better than you know the Big Show? And he also gets to you know pimp his show. Let me ask you this question here in terms of Ric Flair. I genuinely think that Flair is at his best when he has his teeth sunk into something that he cares about. Motivation is a magnificent thing. And Ric Flair, when it comes to working with Randy Orton, even going back to what we saw between the two of them in Evolution, when Ric Flair is aligned with Randy Orton, Ric Flair is motivated in order to make Orton the best Orton that Randy can be as well. Yeah, and he's just—I think it's just, he's just having fun, you know. It's, it's someone that he knows. It's a friend that he's out there, you know, in the ring. It's—you it, know—he's—he's in he's his last few days, and who better to have fun with than somebody that you fully trust, you know, to have fun with you? <clears throat> Quick backstage segment between Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot. Not a whole lot said. Liv says that things is, things have not gone her way recently, and she doesn't need Ruby making her feel worse. I almost feel like you're kind of planting the seeds for Liv and Ruby to reunite down the road with a segment like this. Like maybe they realize that 
while in the ring they're capable of handling themselves, personality-wise, they need each other to play off of in order to give something a substance for the WWE fan base to care about. Um, I I mean, if they do team together, good for them. I think the live program or whatever they were trying to do with her is dead in the water. It's not entertaining. It's not believable. And no one cares. It's like, you know, a Twinder, a Tinder profile. It's just not something that I ever cared about. Ruby, maybe trying to get her friend back is, you know, a possibility. She did tweet right now, maybe about five minutes ago for um, WWE mentioned that maybe um, Ruby is trying to be friends again. And she said, you need to slow your roll. Basically, not those, those aren't her exact words, but basically like calm your tits, bro. That's not, that's not what was going down. So I like that little fold. Maybe that is, maybe that it isn't. You won't know until next week. Um, so yeah, I was okay with it. I mean, Liv, she's just not, she's not getting what, I don't want to say what she should be getting, but you brought her back with a storyline where she might be lesbian for no reason. <laughs> and um, she kind of got the shit into the stick of that. So, sure, why not? She's doing better in the ring. You know, maybe she deserves a little love. It's the rematch everybody wanted. Or maybe they thought everybody wanted. Apollo Crews and Shelton Benjamin. It's also your main event in the ring for Raw tonight. Ever think we'd see a day where Apollo Crews was the in-ring main event of the evening on Monday Night Raw? Um, yeah, the the main event of Raw is not nearly as coveted as it used to be. I mean, just because it's the That's last fair. match doesn't matter. I mean, it's uh, you know, so yeah, it doesn't really impress me much. Um, they can, but before what the does match is that. Shelton Benjamin well, before, can still fucking go. <laughs> before the match, we once again see interaction between MVP and Apollo, kind of teasing that MVP still wants Apollo to be a part of the stable that MVP is gathering, or so we were led to believe. We'll talk about that in a second here. I think Apollo's holding his own on the microphone currently. But I do think that you run the risk of exposing him on the microphone when you're putting him in the ring with people that are better than him on the microphone, such as MVP. Yeah, well, I think he held his own. I think he sounded very much like Apollo. Like, he didn't sound like a character. He sounded like who he wanted to sound like. So I didn't mind that too much. Um, I... I think in an ideal world, this would shoehorn Shelton into the stable as well. I don't know what they're doing with Apollo. One would assume that he eventually will join them, you know, and that's kind of being given to me by the idea that he cheated and um, to win last week. But I don't know. Maybe he'll stay the Apollo that we know fair, and and then this is just a, um, a feud with Lashley, which I'm also okay with. But if they did it, I don't know what Shelton's schedule is or what he wants it to be, but it would be cool to see a resurgence of Shelton simply by association of MVP. But again, maybe we he's talked, not interested. In that. This is a way to shoot. Yeah, we you talked know, about that last him. week. For those of you listening to the show, new listeners here, there is a little bit of a delay from when Tony speaks and when I speak, and the pauses are what cause us to sometimes speak over each other there. I apologize for talking over you, Tony, but what I meant to say was is that we kind of saw that last week. We kind of thought that last week, too, when uh, MVP got Shelton involved in the situation with Apollo. But apparently, Shelton doesn't necessarily want to have that full-time role inside of the ring because I think Shelton's actually working as a producer right now. 
Yeah, I, I mean, think it, this is tonight. Tonight came off like it was mostly a, a way to get to Lashley and Apollo, and that's fine too. And that's what I wanted to ask you about next. Uh, let's put that match on the marquee for Extreme Rules. Uh, Lashley challenges Apollo Cruz for the United States title here. Do you feel like this is an okay step for Lashley, given the fact that he was just in a WWE Championship match the previous month? Uh, personally, I think so. And the reason why is has everything to do with MVP. Uh, his promo tonight was very, very, I'm bringing that title back where it belongs. So he still holds claim to it. He still thinks that he's the best U.S. champion of all time. He even brought up his reign. So hearing that makes me believe, like, Apollo, if you're not going to join my rank, then I'm going to take the title from you, and you will never see it again. And that's, if I have to give it to Lashley, that's what I'm going to do. So it comes off, once again, Lashley, our MVP being just a, a, a methodical manager, but also a great talker and everything seems real because why wouldn't he want that with him? Maybe he can't be the champion himself. Maybe he's a little bit older than, you know, he used to be, but he'll be damn sure to be associated with it. That takes us to our main event segment, which was the return of Rey Mysterio to the WWE in the ring with Dominic. Again, watch the segment on mute for the most part until the very end with the attack by Rollins, or the attempted attack by Rollins, Murphy, and Austin Theory that was negated by Aleister Black and Umberto Carrillo. Uh, your thoughts on the mic work back and forth between Ray and Dominic, and then Seth Rollins' mic work as well. And then we'll talk about the finish to, about the actual brawl itself together afterwards, because that I can't speak on. I just can't speak to the promo. Um, I've never been a big fan of Ray's promo work. It comes off as like, uh, it's hard to really explain other than, um, like Mexican folklore. <laughs> like it just doesn't come off as believable, um, at all. And Dominic, although he is his, fa- his father's son, um, he's, be- he's not believable in a different way. He doesn't have the same, um, uh, energy behind what he says. Yeah. So, um, so they both came off kind of like stilted. Thankfully, it was short, and Dominic is new, so he's got some time to learn. He's not really going to learn from Ray, but, <laughs> you know, he tried. Um, the main event segment itself, I think, was more hit than miss, but there were a couple of misses. I I, I just um, I get why they would want Seth to try and drill his, you know, son's eye, or Ray's son's eye into the stairs similar to how they did Ray, but I don't know. I just came off a little too easily. But then again, it didn't happen, so maybe that's exactly what they were going for. Um, Do you think that there was kind of a kind of a mind game by Seth there in the fact that I could have gotten to Dominic right here if I really wanted to, but he, he delayed long enough to let the save be made, if that makes sense? No, I think he was Ego, uh, egocentric enough to not assume that Umberto and Black would come through. He thought he had that in full control. But still, that's exact. That's par for the course for a messiah or a self-proclaimed you know, proclaimed messiah who assumes that you know no one's going to dare challenge him because he's got destiny on his side. So it all worked out. It wasn't a bad segment. 
Um, I'm just really anxious to see what they're doing. I mean, if they do this right, you're going to be clamoring for Dominic to get in the ring. You're going to want to, at the very least, see how well he does, because I know I already do. I, I want to see uh, what he's got. And that was my next question. Do you think that this leads us to Dominic's in-ring debut at Extreme Rules in a six-man tag match? I think so, to be honest with you. I think that they're going to allow – I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard to say right now, and that's not a bad thing. Um, uh, but uh, for me, if he does, great. If he doesn't, it ends up being Ray. That's also fine. It just leads me to believe, like, what are they doing with him? Maybe they're not sure. Maybe he's not ready. What is the rule? If you're Ray Mysterio's son, do you jump the crowd or do you earn it, you know? And that could be another a whole other storyline that he goes through. If he is contracted by them and does end up being on the main roster, then that's a question that you, as a writer, can ask yourself. Like, can I, can I have, do I have a story here, you know? Kid trying to be better than his dad or will they do the heel turn that people are assuming? Is he going to be Seth's next prodigy? Who knows? Well, I like the idea behind doing the debut as a six-man tag because you can kind of protect him in it. And then along those same lines, you can kind of save his singles debut for a bigger event like SummerSlam where we could potentially have a crowd to react to Dominic as well. Yeah, I mean, I I think doing a one-on-one is a disservice to him um, unless he blows us away. We have no – I mean, I have no idea how good or bad he is. I, I don't even have a slightest idea. I mean, we saw him hop over a couple of people last week, but that's about it. Do you remember his interaction with Lesnar at the Survivor Series last year? What did you make of that? I think it was not enough to tell, realistically. I thought that for what he did in the course of that match, though, he more than held his, up his end of the bargain. Yeah, but he also wasn't asked to do much. That's fair. He wouldn't be asked to do much in a six-man tag either, which would be a, a good way to protect him. That's kind of why I'm thinking that they're going to lean that way, specifically if they're playing up the, the, the eye injury with Ray and him not being medically cleared for in-ring competition. We still have... Yeah, that's the most... What, yeah, that's fine. We, we still have, what, three weeks until we get to Extreme Rules? I want to say it's the 18th of June, or not June, of July... I have no idea. They announced the date before, but I don't remember it. But that's how we went off the air for tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw. We're kind of teasing Seth once again going after the Mysterio family until Alistair and Umberto make the save. It was nice to see Alistair back on Raw after him not being on Raw last week. Yeah. I think Alistair is one of those guys where maybe less is more in terms of his entering content, but he is someone you still want to keep in the public perception. Yeah, yeah, I think he's a, a he's a player for sure, but he was getting a little it was getting a little exhausting seeing him every week. That's with anybody though. It's a rare it's a rare feat to um, not be that exhausting. <laughs> Once again, people can check your raw review over on forallmania.com. But real quick, for those of you, for those of us who haven't had a chance to do so yet, what score did you give tonight's episode of Raw? Uh, eight out of ten. I think that, in true Harry fashion, there was not a lot of wrestling, so that kind of hurt the show. But similar to SmackDown, everything mattered. Everything um, had a reason. It all tied all together nicely. Raw ended in, a, in kind of a, not a shocking way, 
not even a cliffhanger way, but also not a, te- a a nice little bow. You know what I mean? I when it ended, I didn't know it fucking ended. So I was I was like, oh, it's over. <laughs> um, that was a nice feeling that we don't get that with Raw often. <laughs> I think that they straddled the line of in-ring content pretty well tonight, actually. Yeah, there were a couple of matches that could have gotten more time. And, yeah, let's be realistic here. For as much as they want Natalia and Lana to be a thing, the three minutes or whatever that that segment had should have went to the the women's tag team title match instead. But overall, I think that there was enough in-ring content to further along the stories that they want to tell while still providing entertainment in regards to the matches that happened. Uh, Viking Raiders and Street Profits is one of the best matches we've seen on Raw all year. Oscar and Charlotte was one of the best matches we've seen on Raw all year. The women's tag team title match, despite being short, was one of the better matches we've probably seen most of WWE TV this year. Everybody that was asked to step up tonight, asked, to step up tonight did so specifically on their in-ring performances. I gave it an eight as well. Yeah. What a, uh, it was like a really just focused episode of Raw. And um, if this is what we can get used to, then, I mean, I'm all for it. But we've done this before. So <laughs> we'll see. So what you're saying is the words of the day are casual optimism. Yeah, I mean, at least no one was called a coward this week, you know. <laughs> but on the minus side, no one was called a thought either. But, you know, you don't want to overuse that. <laughs> I was having a conversation with one of my friends. I've mentioned him on the show many times before, Jeremy. And Jeremy says to me, did, did he really just call Lana a thought? <laughs> yes, he did. And then uh, Warren, who I've also met, met, talked about on the show before, sends me basically the same message. Did he just call Lana a thought? And I said, yes. Yes, he did. And Warren sends me back a response that says, I don't think Vince knows what a thought is. And I respond <laughs> back to him, I can damn sure guarantee Vince doesn't know what a thought is. Elsewise, that line wouldn't have made air. Yeah. That's also, you know, trusting MVP in his role, and, you know, he's he's killing it. That wraps us up for this episode of Smack or this episode of Raw. We already talked about SmackDown. Before we get to our final reaction for the week, uh, hashtag thank you, take her, take her, Tony. Yeah, I'm not ready to talk about that. <laughs> So are we going to postpone that discussion for another episode or will there be an article forthcoming? Uh, probably both. It's uh, It'd be very hard to write about and not say something that someone has already said. Um, and if it gets too personal, I mean, I may reach far back into the childhood <laughs> further than maybe even I'm ready to do. Stuff is to we say takers and a big part of wrestling lore in general. So We've discussed it many times on the show before about the fact that Taker was the first personality that drew you into professional wrestling. Yeah. And the documentary, I mean, it just, there's a lot of weight in there. I thought it really, you really truly got to know the man. Um, 
And um, some of it was shocking. Some of it was expected. A lot of it was unexpected, though. So, yeah, we can definitely talk about that at another time. All right. So stay tuned. To Oh, my God, we just pulled a Monday Night Raw. We give them something to come back for down the road. Yeah, other than Good my silly antics. <laughs> <laughs> and my attempt at gaining anything resembling street cred. Um, favorite match or moment from this week's episode of month of WWE television? Uh, Sasha winning. Um, no, actually, I want to, I want to give it to uh, the tag team match. They they killed it. There was like it's like it was like watching uncut gems. Like there was no break. There was no pause. It was pure action and drama and. Um, you really wanted more, I mean, to be honest with you. Tony just compared Adam Sandler to pro wrestling. Well, that's not a stretch. Adam Sandler's no. not that great. So. <laughs> hey, you leave Adam Sandler alone, sir. I tried to, and then he fucking saturated the market with subpar comedies. I award you zero points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Billy Madison is a classic. I don't care what anyone fucking says. Oh, I don't disagree with you. He just hit a point where it just he's just no longer funny. All right. Um, I'm actually going to go with Styles and Riddle in terms of entering content here. As good as the Raw Tag Team title match was tonight, and it was really, really good. Styles and Riddle killed it in Riddle's on-screen debut for, or excuse me, his on-screen debut for his WWE run. And if this is the kind of Matt Riddle that we're going to get to see on a week-in, week-out basis, maybe that program that he's been pushing for Brock Lesnar is not such a bad idea after all. Yeah, we'll see. Things seem to be changing week to or day to day. That reminds me to week. So, Greg Watchery of the week, Tony. Uh, just Akira Tozawa's role is just not. It's not doing it for me. He is a champion, though. He's got that going for him. Yeah, you know, I don't. I know. Your your opinions on the 24-7 title are very well known, Tony. I'm going to go with Natalia and Lana. Like I said earlier, those those three minutes should have went to the women's tag team title match. Because there was literally... They haven't yet hit their peak of annoyance. There was literally nothing accomplished in that long that Natalia Liv Morgan match, and I actually really like Natalia. I think that she's incredibly talented in the ring. Unfortunately, she is a charisma vacuum on the microphone. We already gave our show ratings, Tony. You gave both shows eight. Who's your MVP for the week? Um. I'm going to say I'd say Oscar. She's she um she did really well against Charlotte. Charlotte did her part, but this was Oscar's match. And Charlotte tapped. Like, whoa. <laughs> did you see the little mini celebration Oscar had on the mat when Charlotte tapped? Oh yeah. 
I felt like part of that was real. Like it's about Probably. goddamn time, you know? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Tony, prepare to have your socks rocked off. You ready? I'm ready. My MVP for the week on WWE television? Sasha Banks. Hell yeah. Good for her. <laughs> the match believe. against Nikki on SmackDown, as well as the character work with the with the uh, commentating performances. And then the women's tag team title match that they had on Raw tonight, where all four girls killed it. And then the positioning for Sasha as the next challenger for Asuka going towards Extreme Rules. I think that Sasha had one, arguably the best week of her WWE calendar year this week between SmackDown and Raw. And if she can continue on this pace here and Bailey can continue at the rate that Bailey's going, those two women have a chance to put together something really special once they clash again this time in the WWE for one of the major women's titles instead of just for the NXT women's title. Nice. I gave Sasha credit, Tony. Don't get used to it. Good. She deserves it. She's the best in the world. But is she the best in the world? Okay, that's going to get me sued. All right. Where can people find you online, Tony? 411mania.com. I live there. I'm there every other day now. <laughs> so We just got to get you something on the weekend. That's all. We'll make that happen, I'm know. sure. We're We're good. This is enough. <laughs> You can check out Tony's Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown reports over at 401. And eventually he may post an article there or to thechairshot.com describing just how much his feels were touched, and hopefully not anything else, by the Undertaker Last Ride documentary and what we got out of those finals that has been the big talking point on Twitter in regards to pro wrestling outside of the stuff we're not talking about. Right. Right. <laughs> At Tony Acero 411 on Twitter. Yep. At ATB the Eagle on Twitter. I'll admit I barely use it. I'm trying to use it a little bit more, but not a big social media person. Like, I talk to people. I use Messenger. If you want to send me a message and talk wrestling, by all means, feel free. Harry Broadhurst on Facebook. You can find me on Messenger. Send me a friend request. Send me a message on uh, through Messenger. If you want to talk wrestling, I'm happy to discuss it with anybody. Maybe some people more so than others, but still, anybody. And Don't miss me. Yeah. <laughs> what was that, Tony? Don't message me. Message Harry. <laughs> and send all hate mail to Greg DeMarco lives at gmail.com. Yes. Absolutely. Um, we're not going to go into specific details about this. We talked about this earlier in the show. We said we weren't going to ex- into explicit details about anyone or anything that has been brought up over the course of the last couple of days in regards to the world of professional wrestling and speaking out. I have one simple thing to professional wrestling. I have one simple thing to say to professional wrestling in general here. And this is a phrase I have repeated on this show many, many times before. D B 
A-D. It is that simple. You don't want to be accused of doing shit? Don't do shit. Don't be wise words. Tony will continue to stalk Tasha, but from a distance, we think. We hope. We'll see. (laughs) I'll be here next week. Hopefully you will be too as we continue the road to extreme roles here on The Reaction, a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next week. Deuces, bitches. You have been listening to The Reaction, a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network, available online at thechairshot.com. Join us again next Monday night at 11.30 p.m. Eastern as Harry Broadhurst and Tony Acero bring you The Reaction, your weekly breakdown of Raw and SmackDown here on the Chairshot Radio Network. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head.